92. Father, we thank you for a fresh word today. And I just thank you, Father, for the, the, the Spirit of God who is always fresh. And so we invite Him. We're very conscious of the fact that He is here in this place this morning, Father. It's not by might. That is our might. It's not by power. That's our power. Lord, but it's by Your Spirit that it shall be accomplished. And so today, Father God, we just ask You right now for revealed revelation knowledge from heaven to fill our hearts, to fill our minds. We bind every distraction the enemy would try to throw at our thinking, our thoughts, and we pull them down in Jesus' name. And today we will receive all that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Last, uh, we've been talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but there's a little uh, part of that that we're actually getting into the last Sunday we started. And this all has to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We talked about um, how to tap into a fresh anointing, how to tap into a fresh anointing. And our, our main scripture is Psalm 92, and let's take a look at verse 9 again. David said this, he said, For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, uh, thine enemies shall perish, and all the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But verse 10, it says this, But my horn thou shalt exalt like the horn of a unicorn, and I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Now you remember back in the Old Testament when, when the prophet would anoint somebody, for example. They would get like a horn. It was actually a horn from, uh, from a goat, okay? And it was hollowed out and they would fill it with olive oil, the anointing oil. And they would anoint like David and different people. They would anoint them and the Spirit of God would come upon them, okay? Now it's the, the, uh, the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, just like water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice in verse 10, he says, My horn you shall exalt like the horn of a unicorn. And notice this phrase here, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Say fresh oil. Now, I don't know about you, but I like things that are fresh. I like drinks. I like food that's fresh. Have you ever eaten something that's maybe five, six days old? Or you attempt to. It's not very good. It gets stale and so forth, you know. And, uh, but he says, I will be anointed with fresh oil. Say fresh oil. Now, every single day of our lives, we need fresh oil. We cannot go on last week's. In other words, you say, well, I've had breakfast. That was seven days ago. Well, you still got to have breakfast. You understand what I mean? And it's one thing to be an, to experience the anointing a week ago, a month ago, two years ago, you know. But sad to say, most people, a lot of believers don't realize that we, we, we can tap into a fresh anointing every single day. Now, that's not just when we come to church. We should, as individuals, our relationship with God, we can experience a fresh anointing every single day. Now, the enemy doesn't want you to step into that, but that's just too bad. We will. We're going to break through. We're going to step into that as a congregation, as individuals. We're going to step into that anointing. Amen? I mean, even though there's a lot of adversaries, there's a lot of enemies that try to keep you from stepping into a fresh anointing. What are some of those enemies? Circumstances that you face. Okay? Those circumstances have a voice. But he says, I will be anointed with fresh oil. I like what Mark Hankins says. He goes, why do we need a fresh oil? He goes, because we leak. (laughs) We leak. You can go out full in the morning, you know, and you get around some people that have a draining effect on you. Do you ever notice that? And boy, you're like, whoa, I wish I felt the way I did in the morning here, you know. But you can be anointed with fresh oil. Now, uh, I'm I'm just going to quote this because of time. But in 1 John 2, verse 27, it says, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. So we saw last week, and just review here real quick, that when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you received an anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. The anointing is not a thing, it's a person. It's a person. And you can be either more or less anointed. I mean, you can have the anointing in you, but you can either be more or less anointed depending on what you do. 
Now, I believe it's God's will that we all be anointed with fresh oil on a regular, continual basis. Fresh oil. And I used the example last week in the book of Exodus how that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, came through the Red Sea and drowned their enemies in the Red Sea. And fast forward, uh, you remember they got hungry in the wilderness and they needed food and they cried out for water, they cried out for food. And the Lord instructed Moses, He says, Tell the people in the morning, there was an initial day for this, and it actually lasted 40 years. It's amazing. 40 years. Every single morning, God would rain down fresh bread from heaven in the wilderness. (laughs) And their job was to go out and gather it up and to grind it and then bake it. Now, a lot of people think this, it was like wafers that came down, you just grabbed it and ate it. That's not not what happened. Amen? (laughs) Amen. I mean, God did the hard part. He provided the food. He goes, no, you guys bake it, okay? But the Lord instructed them. He was very specific. He said, uh, he says, each and every morning, he says, get up, gather fresh manna. He says, don't let anything be left over. He says, eat it. And he says, but on the sixth day, you know, he said, gather twice as much up. He goes, because the seventh day is the Sabbath. It's the rest. All right. Well, you know what happened that the Israelites disobeyed God. And because of fear, because of fear, they said, we better gather up more because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the Bible says that maggots came in. That's not real fun. And they began to, to, to cause all kind of problems because of their disobedience. All right. God says specifically, look every single morning for the fresh manna from heaven. And it showed up fresh fresh. A new batch every single morning. Isn't that wonderful? He says, I'll be anointed with fresh oil. Now, to walk in a fresh, here's where we're going to get into steps today. To walk in a fresh anointing, we have to have this one thing. Here's the most important thing. There's a couple of steps we're going to talk about, but the only one we're going to cover today. To have a fresh anointing in your life, you have to have revelation knowledge of God's Word. I'm going to talk about that here. Revelation knowledge of God's Word or revealed knowledge. It's just a, revealed just means revelation. Now Jesus said, look at this scripture here, Mark chapter 7 and verse 13. Talking to the religious people of his day, he, he said this statement. He says, you make the Word of God of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered, and many such things do ye. Okay? Or we would say it like this. Because Jesus said this to the religious people. These are the Israelites, the religious leaders. He said, because of your tradition, you have made the word of God of none effect. Now, what is, what's the difference between tradition and understanding? Well, tradition isn't necessarily bad. But if you don't understand why you're doing it, if you don't understand why you're doing it, you can go through the motions just like, for example, the area of communion. Okay? Remember over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the the Apostle Paul was addressing some some different problems that the church at Corinth had. And one of them, they abused everything. They abused even communion. Now, they would have communion feasts where everybody would come in and have a big meal. And so what they would do is they would come in and eat up everything. And then when the latecomers came in, there was no food left for them. So they couldn't have communion. And Paul had to chastise them about that, you know. And, uh, but he said, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you Christians. He says, many have died prematurely, not discerning the Lord's body. Remember he said that in 1 Corinthians 11? Now, discerning means to have revelation or understanding. He says, for this cause, many are weak. Christians are weak and sickly, and many have prematurely died, which means they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have. Now, of course, anybody that's a Christian that goes to heaven doesn't want to come back anyway. But Paul is just telling us by the revelation, by the Holy Spirit, he said, there are some people that will go to heaven prematurely when they really didn't have to because of this one thing, they didn't discern the Lord's body. What does that mean? to understand fully a revelation of the body of Jesus Christ and how it was lashed for us, it was broken for us, for our physical sustenance and healing. Amen? Amen. Now, here's another example. 
In Exodus chapter 12, you see the, the, the Passover, right? The first Passover where, where judgment was coming down on Egypt. Remember that? And the plagues and so forth. And God is bringing them out with an outstretched arm. I'm telling you, there's coming a time where judgment's coming on the ungodly. And it's a righteous judgment. Amen? It's not that God's ticked off or mad. There is a righteous judgment. Thank God for it. And, uh, and he says, uh, he says this, there's going to come a time when your children, talking to Israel, he says the children are going to ask, because they did a Passover meal every year. The bitter herbs and the different things they would go through that God instructed them to do. And he says the time's going to come in Exodus chapter 12 where your children are asked, Dad, why are we doing this? I'm paraphrasing. Mom, why, what's the deal with this? And he says, you'll be able to explain to them, this is why we're doing this. The bitter herbs are representative of our bitter bondage in Egypt, and they would eat the bitter herbs. And so from generation after generation after generation, and still to this day, when they practice Passover, they explain to their children in detail, here's the Lord's Passover, here's what happened to us, here's how we came out of Egypt bondage, went through the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Praise the Lord. And so, but you could see that somebody could do, for example, Passover, but not have revelation of why they're doing it. Let's talk about something more modern, okay? Here you got a couple that's brandly new and they're married. And they're, brand, they're just a year old in their marriage, you know, and they're young. And, uh, and so the wife is learning to cook. I said learning to cook. <laughs> and, um, and she told the husband, she said, do you like pot roast? She, he goes, oh, yeah, I love pot roast. He says, well, she goes, well, I'm going to make you some pot roast this week. So he's all anxious about this is their first encounter, you know. And so she goes out, buys a pot roast, and... Uh, and he's just so curious, he's out there standing in the kitchen observing the wife. She takes a big butcher knife and cuts the end of the, pork, the, the, uh, the, the roast off, throws it in the trash, and then puts it in the oven. She makes the pot roast, you know, and he enjoys every, every ounce of it. He says, honey, that was really good, but I got a question for you. He says, why did you cut the end of the, ro- the uh, pot roast off and throw it away? She goes, well... That's what my mother did. So they go and ask his mother, his mother-in-law. Said, why do you, you know, why did you cut the end of your pot roast off? My wife just did the same thing. She goes, I don't know, my mother did it. So they went to grandma and they said, Grandma, why did you cut the end of your pot roast off? She said, because the pot was too small. There's a perfect example of a tradition. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? But you've lost the true meaning. You've lost the true meaning. And traditions are not bad if you have revelation. Paul talked about following the traditions of God. But if you have revelation of them, they can function. And how many of you grew up in mainline churches and you did things you didn't know why you did, you just did it anyway. But you didn't have revelation of it. Now, one of the worst enemies to a fresh anointing in our lives is just going through the motions, going through tradition, but not understanding why we're doing this. When I began to understand, for example, of what happens in the realm of the Spirit when I worship God, I no longer had to be coaxed or convinced or uh, of someone that... To, to scream at me and yell at me and say, why aren't you worshiping God? Are you with me? Because when I understood, and that wasn't just in church, but in my private life, when I began to realize that when I worship God, I'm standing in the presence of God in front of Him. That's the highest form of faith that you can offer to Him as you worship Him. And it gets real exciting when you're by yourself and no one's watching you. Because that's where it really counts. <laughs> we should worship in church. But it actually should be a culmination of what we've been doing all week long. Amen? I mean, I love to just worship God, lift my voice and sing and praise Him in the car while I'm walking, you know. And, and if there's other people around, I don't do it loud enough, they can hear me. But it's cultivating and practicing the presence of God. And it's not just, okay, I'm a robot, I worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And there are people like that. They just, they're just like robots. There's no life behind it. 
It's kind of like when God created Adam, you know, before he breathed into him the breath of life, he was just a clay statue. He just stood there, lifeless. He looked like Adam, but there was no life in him. But when God breathed into him the breath of life, he became a living soul. <laughs> he's not just a statue now. Now he's a living soul. Praise God. That's what you and I are. But uh, what we need to do to walk in a fresh anointing is we need to have revelation knowledge. Now, here's where I want to get into this this morning. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. We'll start in verse 13. This is one of the most important things as a believer that we, that we need to understand this. Okay? Revelation knowledge. Can we say that? Revelation knowledge. One more time. Revelation knowledge. Now we're going to read here a classic prime example of someone that had revelation knowledge initially in their lives that changed their lives. Okay? And I'll explain this as we go here. But you'll see in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now he's asking a question here. He's asking his disciples, What are people saying about me? What are they saying about who, who do they say that I am? He's asking them a simple question. Now verse 14 says, And they said, now this is their response, they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Now that's kind of interesting because these, these guys have all gone on to glory. <laughs> They're gone. Amen. So I guess they believed in reincarnation back then. Think about it. Some say, you're John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the other. Now these are some pretty big names that they're listing here. Some say, well, that must be Jeremiah, that must be John the Baptist, you know. And, uh, but you know, he wasn't satisfied with that response. Are you with me now? And he said unto them, in verse 15, he saith unto them, that's his followers, he says, Who do you say that I am? Now he's getting real specific here. He says, here's what others are saying, but now I'm going to get real specific. And he says this, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? You know what? I saw this one day and I began to realize it's not so important what others are saying about God that matters. It's what you say about him that really matters. When you say, Jesus, come into my heart, that affects you more than anybody else. He says, who do you say that I am? All right. And then uh, verse 16, Peter. Now, Peter's always opening up his mouth. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. We'll see this. But sometimes he's got a, he pushes himself out there. He puts his big foot in his mouth, you know. But he's also a man that takes, takes godly risks. He's the only one that stepped out of the boat. People say, well, Peter sank. Yeah, but the rest of them, st they stayed in the safe zone. They stayed in the boat. They didn't even try. All of them could have jumped up and walked on the water. But Peter was bold enough to step out. You know, and being a fisherman, that's not something you would normally do, <laughs> being on the water. But here's what he says here. He says, uh, verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mm. Correct answer. Now look at verse 17. And Jesus, now he's going to respond back to him. He says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Now notice it says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now notice he said that concerning in verse 17 that Peter received revealed, he said that flesh and blood has not revealed this to, we call this revelation. Peter had a revelation that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said this, he says, flesh and blood, in other words, people didn't reveal this to you. But my Father which is in heaven, revelation knowledge, apart from the five physical senses. Now in, in this earth we learn everything that we know through the five physical 
senses. What we can hear, see, taste, touch, smell. Amen. Call that the five senses. But there's another avenue whereby God can impart knowledge to us and it's called revelation knowledge. Revealed knowledge. Amen. Now let me give, let me give an example. Have you ever been reading a scripture or maybe uh, someone was ministering and all of a sudden they brought out a scripture that maybe you've read countless times. But all of a sudden there was a new light on that scripture and you're like, whoa, I didn't see that. Have you ever had that happen? You know what that is? That's called revelation knowledge. It takes an old truth and makes it alive and real. And that's the thing that we are to live by. We're going to see this here in a minute here. But Peter, Jesus said this, Simon, he says, you're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now look at verse 18. And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and, I, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, let's talk about the laws of Bible interpretation. Because you have to take things, the Bible says, rightly study to show yourself approved, the workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth in 2 Timothy 2.15. We have to rightly divide the word of truth, which means you can also wrongly divide the word of truth. And it puts people in bondage. Now here's, here's how to wrongly divide this truth right here. Peter was the first pope. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. Now you're here, in that, you're here in chapter 16, correct? Jump down to verse 21. Now this is right after, right after he says, you, are, you receive this knowledge and I'll build my church upon this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. This could not be Peter that he's talking about here. In verse 21, from that time began, uh, now this is the same day. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things of elders of the chief priests and scribes, and to be killed and notice to be raised on the third day. Verse 22, Peter, that's the guy we just read about, Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him and said, Be it far from thee, you shall not, this shall not be unto you. Now here's Jesus' response, And He turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Oh, you are an offense unto me, and thou savorest, or now you don't value the, the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now, if Peter was the rock that Jesus was building the church on, we're on dangerous ground here. Now, it's interesting how you can be inspired one second and yield to God and say what God says, and the next second you're saying what the devil says. Now, folks, you know what? All of us have done that. We just didn't know it. Amen? We didn't just see the, the guy in the red suit and the pitchfork and horns and long tail. But a thought came to us. And sometimes, even as believers, we can say things like Jesus said, take no thought saying. Even as believers, do you know all of us have the ability to either yield to God or yield to the devil? We all have the ability to do that. It's a choice. It's not a given. It's a choice. And all of us can either yield to God or yield to the devil. How do you know when you're yielding to the enemy? Fear. Anytime fear is present, Satan is present. I'm afraid, so I better do this. I'm afraid, so I better say this. Or I'm afraid, so I better do this. Okay? And anytime fear is pushing your button and making you do things, the enemy is always behind it. Now, Peter meant well. Now, people can have good intentions. Peter had good intentions. He said, be it far from you. Jesus, you're not going to go to the cross. We're going to stand with you here. But the same, just a few minutes after Jesus said, you are blessed. You receive this wisdom, this knowledge from heaven. And he says, I'm going to build my church. Now, I submit this to you this morning. We're talking about revelation knowledge, walking in a fresh anointing, that in order to have a fresh anointing, you have to have revealed knowledge to you to keep you motivated and to keep you going. Okay? Peter, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church upon this rock. It's not Peter. You know what it is? It's revelation knowledge. He says, that's how I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on revealed knowledge and the gates and the governments of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Lord. And that's the most powerful thing that we can receive is revelation knowledge from heaven. Revealed knowledge is revelation knowledge. This knowledge doesn't come through the five physical senses, what you can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. This is revelation knowledge. Praise God. Now go to Matthew real quick here. Matthew uh, chapter 4. And let's just build on this foundation here about revelation knowledge because uh, I heard Mark Hankins. Anybody hear Mark Hankins before? Mark Hankins said this many, many, many years ago. My wife and I met him back in the early 80s in the church we were working in in Texas. And he made a statement. I'll never forget it. He says, if you don't have a revelation of the knowledge of God, you will be frustrated. Amen? Without revelation, you get frustrated. Someone says, I'm bored of that scripture. I'm bored of church. I'm bored. That's because you don't have revelation. When you have revelation, because the senses always want to be entertained. But when you have revelation, you'll never be bored another day in your life. When you open your Bible, you'll be like, glory be to God. <laughs> I'll never be the same. You see, it's, it's interesting because as a born again child of God, the author of the Bible lives on the inside of you. Holy men of old wrote as they were moved by the what? By the Holy Spirit. And the author of the Word lives inside of you. He can teach you things about the Word that you don't even know. Things that are in line with the Word of God, you see. But notice it says in Matthew 4, now this is the temptation of Jesus. Look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, there to be tempted of the devil. Now he had to be tempted because he had to go through this for our sake. In verse 2 it says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he afterward was hungry. And the tempter, now notice the devil's called the tempter. When the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, now notice he's questioning his identity. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written. Now he's quoting a word, the word of God here in Deuteronomy. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's quoting a scripture here to the devil. All right. Now, here's what I want to bring out to you. We're talking about revelation knowledge. Notice that Jesus said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word. word. Now, there's two Greek words for the word word. In the New Testament, and the first one is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. Okay? That's the written word. The second Greek word for word is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. You ever heard of that before? Rhema. Rhema is the revealed word spoken. Okay? This is the word rhema right here. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by rhema. Man, woman, shall live by the rhema, the revelation of the Word of God. Glory to God. When I first uh, started experiencing this as a, as a young Christian, you know, I tell you, I was, my wife was the same way. We're, I was so hungry for God. I mean, to tell you, I was, I, and I did, that's all I knew. I didn't know that I was hungry. I just was. Nobody told me about it, but I was just so hungry for God. And thirsty for God. And uh, Jesus said, They that do hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. But I noticed this, that when you're hungry for God, revelation starts to come to you. When you cry out for God, you cry and you're thirsty for Him. See, sometimes believers, they're believers, but they're not thirsty and they're not hungry for God. But I'll tell you what, when, you, when you're hungry and you're thirsty for God, you can't get enough. You just want more and more. And I tell you, I'm experiencing this myself. The more I get into God's Word, the more I hear God's Word, I just can't get enough. I just want more and more and more. <laughs> Amen? During the course of a week, oh, I just want more of this. God, I want more of you. Because the more you eat, the more you become hungry. Now, you would think in the natural, because when the more you eat, the fuller you become. But in the spirit realm, the more you eat, the hungrier you become. <laughs> Don't try to figure it out. It just, it just works. Praise God. Now, man shall not live by bread alone, natural bread, but he says, but by every word, rhema, revealed 
knowledge. Now, with Peter, getting back to Peter, did he have a rhema? Yes. He had revealed knowledge, and then he spoke it. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And a lot of times, it's kind of like a, you know, a, a, a parrot. A parrot can speak words, but there's no revelation behind it. You know, I've, I've seen it through the years. I've gone into different places where they have a bird that can, and I don't know if it's just parrots. There's different types of birds, I think, but they can speak. You ever hear that before? And you're like, where'd that come from? You know what I'm saying? And uh, that, that bird or that animal could speak, and it sounds like a person. It might use English words, but I guarantee you that bird does have no revelation at all to what it's saying. It can repeat something, but it doesn't even know what it's saying. All right? But when you have a revealed word to you, and revelation knowledge is real, it'll explode like fireworks on the inside of you, and nothing will be able to keep it down. It puts life back into you, the rhema, the revelation knowledge of God's word. Now, I'm going to show you something here. Uh, go to uh, Mark, Mark's gospel here. Chapter 4, and I want, to, I want to show you a little bit more what I'm talking about here. Revealed knowledge. And by the end of this sermon today, I'm going to talk, tell you, show you how to tap into revelation knowledge, how to tap into it. Boy, I'll tell you what's the most exciting thing. Amen. Now, in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, I just uh, want you to look at a couple of verses here. Verse 13. And he answered and said unto them, Know ye not this peril, verse 13, how is it that you, you'll then that you will know all parables? Now what's he saying right there? Jesus is saying this is the master parable. If you understand this parable, you understand all parables. This is the most important parable that Jesus gave. He says, if you know this parable, he goes, you're going to know all parables. And then he says, the sower soweth the word. All right? And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now notice he said the sower is the word. He sower sows the what? The word of God. Now in a sense, that's exactly what I'm doing today is I'm sowing the word of God to you. And it's a joy to do it. Just like Johnny Appleseed, get out there, you've seen that, and he goes out there and spreads seed around. But, but we're not doing that. We're spreading the Word of God is seed. The Bible says in 1 Peter, 2, 20, or 1 Peter 1, 23, being born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible seed by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Word of God is a seed. Now, if you read just Mark that we just read right there, it kind of gives the impression that, you know, well, when the sower sows the Word, immediately Satan comes and takes away the Word that was sown in their heart. So why even try? Doesn't that kind of give the impression of Mark? So why even try? You get beat down anyway. <laughs> right? Now, look at Matthew 13, the same parable. Go to Matthew 13. And Matthew's, this is Matthew's uh, account of this particular scripture here about the parable of the sower. Now, Mark, it says, that's Matthew 13. And Mark, it says, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their heart, right? So, he, so it, it's almost like if you just look at it from that viewpoint, you're like, why even hear the word? Because as soon as I hear it, the devil's going to just snatch it from me. But let me tell you something. The devil cannot just snatch the word of God out of your heart. He can't do it. Now, Matthew 13, verse 18. Here's the same parable, but from Matthew's point of view, he says... Hear ye therefore the parable, the sower. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and notice this phrase, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that received the seed by wayside. All right? Now you see the difference between Mark and Matthew right here? Matthew goes a little deeper. He says, when Satan comes immediately... He can take the word if you don't understand it. Are you with me? In other words, you don't have revelation. And so, I don't know about you, but I've been, I've been through the years, I've been following Jesus since 1976, you know. And I've heard thousands and thousands of sermons. And I've heard some sermons through the years that have just kind of gone over my head. I'm like, 
I don't know what he's talking about. He's using all kind of fancy words, $100 words, but I don't know what he's saying, but it sounds good. I didn't have revelation of what he had revelation of. That's why I like Jesus, because, you know, Jesus, when Jesus taught, he taught in ways that even little children could understand him. He would talk about vineyards and sheepfolds, you know, and flowers and trees and seeds, you know. And even the most uneducated people of his day could get that. He would say the kingdom of God is like a farmer. The kingdom of God is like a seed. All right? Thank God Jesus didn't say the kingdom of God is likened unto a trigonometry equation. Because half of us would miss it. Now there's some, probably some mathematicians in here that understand that, that get that, but a lot of people don't. That was not one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> Amen? Not proud of it, that's just the way it was. That was not one of my favorite subjects, mathematics. But Jesus would talk in terms and ways that even the most uneducated young people could understand what he was saying. There was no mystery about what he was saying. And when Jesus initially announced this parable and said the, the, the kingdom of God is like this, the, I'm the sower soweth the word. That's what we're doing today. Jesus would speak the word. In other words, he was sowing the word. Amen. Now, when I was growing up in my mainline denominational church, there was no word being sown. I mean, it's just the facts. The minister, the, the Methodist minister that I had at that time read more out of Reader's Digest than he did the Bible or the Word of God. I'm not kidding you. It's the absolute God honest truth. He was a very educated man. But I can, I can tell you this, he did not have any anointing on him. He was not a people person. He wasn't even friendly with people. So-called pastor of the church is mean-spirited to all the people. I wouldn't want to go there either. You know what I'm saying? No fruit. Well, here's the thing. He wasn't born again. He was religious, but he was not born again. And I'll tell you why. What happened was, as a... Did I say something? As a pastor... As the pastor of the church, they had, now they had Methodist, I grew up in the Methodist church. In fact, I got saved in the Methodist church at a youth camp where another group from another Methodist church, you know, evangelized us. I was one of them and it changed my life forever. And, uh, and so that youth group, we came back to the church and I'm telling you, there was a fire that was, I mean, we were baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. I'm telling you, it was just, there was a fire that was on the inside of us. And the word got out in the congregation. The very next Sunday, he got up and spoke against what happened to us. Called it emotionalism and this and that, you know, and just criticized what took place. Because word got back to him, you know. Well, you know, it wasn't, I think it was probably even that year he ended up getting out. Thank God he got out of the ministry and went into another secular field. Okay. So I'm just, as a point of reference, I'm showing you, I grew up in a church where there was no word being taught. It was dry, it was dead, it was boring, it was, it was tradition, it was just yuck, yuck. All I kept doing is looking at my little Timex cheap watch and looking at it and thinking, when's this going to be over? But not, not, after, not long after that, the Lord called us. My sister took me to a church that was born again, spirit-filled. And I'm telling you what, there was revelation knowledge in that church. And I got into that church in the late 70s, early 80s. And I'm telling you, for the first time in my life, I heard revelation knowledge that was changing my life. And I'm telling you what, I've never been the same since. And so I... When I go into a service, I want revelation knowledge. I'm hungry for revealed revelation knowledge. But he says, Jesus said this, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. I would call this lack of understanding, lack of revelation. Now go to Jeremiah real quick here in Jeremiah chapter 3, and I want to show you something here. In Jeremiah chapter 3, And let's see one of the weapons that God has, that has God, one of the weapons that God has to avoid lack of understanding. 
Well, I tell you what, I want every person here. I don't care how many people are here. I don't care if it's one-on-one -on -one or to a group of people. My heart's desire is that you have revelation and understanding of what I'm saying so that your life can be transformed and changed. Amen? And God says here, prophesying about the coming time, He says, and I will, Jeremiah 3.15, God says through Jeremiah, I will give you pastors according to my heart, which will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Amen. And this is one of the reasons, not the only reason, this is one of the reasons some people, some Christians do not have revelation knowledge because they're not even in a position where they're hearing from an anointed pastor. Now you're here this morning, praise the Lord. But there are, there are believers that are frustrated in life, they're confused in life because they're not putting themselves in a divine position to hear anointed pastors, hallelujah, that are going to share, notice this, Knowledge and understanding. In other words, revelation. Praise the Lord. And when we begin to understand that, and we begin to walk as we put ourselves in a position. Now the people that, I, that Lynn and I, the ministers that we follow, are people that have wisdom and revelation knowledge frequently flowing in their midst. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we can determine... We can make it, that's why the devil doesn't want people, and I'll say this boldly, that's why the devil does not want people to be in anointed churches. He fights everything he can to keep them out of church. Well, I can just watch it on the internet. No, that's not, that's not what God has. I thank God for the internet. I listen to stuff on there. But that's not a substitute for the real deal. Are you with me? I feed constantly from ministers on the, on the, sermon, on the uh, internet and so forth. But... That doesn't do away with the body of Christ. Amen? Now, this word rhema is the word that's used, R-H-E-M-A, where Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. In other words, we are to live by revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll, we'll conclude here today. In Ephesians chapter 1, revelation knowledge. When you, uh, when you read your Bible, you read a chapter. Let's just say you read a chapter or a few verses. Here's what I do for the most part. For the most part, I'll say, now Lord, I'm about to read this chapter right now. And I'm going to ask you right now to open my eyes and cause me to see things in this chapter that I need to see, that I haven't seen before. Open my eyes. Give me fresh revelation in this scripture. And every single time, God is my witness, every single time I pray that, I could read a chapter that I've read hundreds of times. But all of a sudden there's something in that chapter that stands out to me that I haven't seen before. Why? Because the lid has been taken off and now the Lord can say, because you might think, I've exhausted this scripture this far. How much more can you milk that scripture? How much more can you get out of that scripture? Let me tell you something. You haven't exhausted all the revelation there is. <laughs> I mean, John 3, 16, God can take that scripture and give you a new light, new revelation on that. And you'll think, I've heard that thousands of times, for God so loved the world, right? That I'll tell you, He can take that same scripture and take the lid off of it, so to speak, give you a download of wisdom and revelation about that scripture that you're like... Whoa, I didn't see it like that in that light. That's when it becomes exciting. That's when it's like, why didn't I see that? Hallelujah. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus is no, long, no different than the church of Pittsburgh today. He's writing, and there's, there's two chapters, and I'm only going to read a little bit here in the first but there's actually two prayers listed in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3 where he prays for the... These are spirit-anointed prayers. All right? You can pray these prayers for yourself. Now, we're only going to look at the first one here, but in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says this, Wherefore, also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love for all the saints... I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, here's something the Lord showed me way back when I was praying these same prayers. Notice in verse 16 that Paul always 
Now, I never knew this until the Lord showed me this. He says, every time Paul prayed for people, even people that had issues and problems, he started out by saying, I thank God for you. Now, I didn't know that, but the Holy Spirit showed that to me. And you'll go, all, to, all his letters, you'll find out when he says, I'm about to pray for you, but I give thanks for you. In other words, that keeps, keeps your attitude right. Have you ever prayed at someone that you're angry for? <laughs> oh, God. Well, it might help to mix a little bit of thankfulness in there at first. Right? And say, God, that jerk just did something to me. But, you know, Paul could have said that. He said, you bunch of jerks at Corinth, you messing around, huh? See what you did with my letter? See what you did? You're messing around out there, huh? He could have did that. But even the church at Corinth, who had all, they had all kind of problems. I mean, they were carnal. Strife was in the church. Comparing, the one, comparing one another. Jealousy was in the church at Corinth. And they flowed in the gifts of the Spirit. Which means you can flow in the gifts of the Spirit, but that doesn't make you a mature Christian. Hallelujah. <laughs> Just a side thought. But I saw, the Lord opened my eyes to this. He says, and it just is in an instant. It was like a download instantly. And I just remembered, that's right. Over in this letter and this letter and all these epistles, he starts out by giving thanks, which is God's protocol. Now, I wasn't always doing that. Most of the time I wasn't. I was like, Lord, I just want to pray for so-and-so. I'll pray for myself, pray for someone else, you know. But I wasn't giving thanks for them. But all of a sudden I saw it. Revelation. Shift. Paradigm shift. I began to see, okay, Lord. Because, you know, there's some people in your lives as well as my life that, man, they're, you know what I'm saying. Like Paul's thorn in the flesh. It's kind of like, it kind of feels that way. You know what I'm saying? But, Father, I give thanks for that person right now. I praise you. You died for them. You shed your blood for them. Oh, Father, if you love them, then I love them. And I surround them with faith and with love. And I thank you for that person right now. And I'll tell you, when you make that shift like that, like Paul says, I give thanks to you. I give praise for God for you. Making mention of you in my prayers. When you shift into thanksgiving, I've noticed this, that even in like, if the more thankful you are to someone the more you'll be drawn to them. If your daughter or your son's screwing up, messing up, you know, give God thanks for them. And be thankful to them in front of them. It's not just a put on, it's reality. Amen? I tell my, my, my wife and my son and my daughter and even the dog. The cat's in heaven now, Jesus. <laughs> He's better off. He's in a better place. <laughs> Amen. But I have to confess that when we had to put him down, and I'll tell you what, I cried like a little baby. I really did. And I didn't think I was that attached to him. But I, you know, I guess there was. You know. <laughs> I was, Lynn's looking at me. I told you so. You were attached to him. I told you you were attached to him. <laughs> Where was I? But anyway, there's not a day that goes by. Not one day that goes by. Not one day that goes by. Not a day that goes by. That I don't, more than once, verbally, textually, text message, that I tell my wife and my family how, how much I love them and appreciate them. Am I right? Am I right, Brother Josh? Not a day goes by where I'm not saying I praise God for you, I'm thankful for you. And that doesn't mean that we're not going through challenges. Okay? But when you cultivate thanksgiving and praise and thanksgiving and praise and you're thankful for that person, it, if they're, even if they're screwing up, it's going to make them want to turn around because who's going to want to run from an atmosphere of unex, uh, unconditional love? With my family, with my son, with my daughter, with my wife, there's nothing they can do, nothing they can do to keep me from stop loving them. I will love them throughout eternity. Amen? Does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean we have flaws? Yes. Like all of us do. But when you're thankful, 
and you give thanks to God, it keeps your head on straight. It keeps your attitude straight. It keeps you from getting irritated with that husband or that wife or that child or whatever, you know what I'm saying, that brother, that sister, because you're, 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 giving, you're focusing on the positive thing. And I'm so glad the Lord's like that. I'm so glad God doesn't focus on my weaknesses. Because, you know, in the flesh and the natural, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. I have flaws. I'm a flawed individual like anybody else in the flesh. Okay. But I'm so glad that God looks beyond my flesh and looks into my heart and loves me unconditionally because that's what keeps drawing me back. Even when I think I've made my worst mistake of my life, God says, come on, son, come on back. Where condemnation will push you away. It'll push you away from the presence of God. That's what it's designed. When Adam sinned, what did he do? He ran from the presence of God. He ran. And that's the nature of our flesh. This is when we miss it. We want to run from God instead of running to Him. But if we realize how much He loves us, even when I fall, I'm going to get back up. The prophet Micah says, when I fall, I shall arise. If you fall, you miss it, get right back up and you run to the arms of God because He's there to embrace you, to help you. Even when you miss it, even when you make mistakes, even when you sin, He's there to help you get out of that muck and that mire, not to stay and waller in that thing, but to get you out. Amen. Amen? I believe that Jesus loves me. I have a better revelation of that than I did a year ago. And He loves me unconditionally. He loves to spend time with me. Amen? I had the Lord, not audibly, but speak to my spirit like He speaks to all of us many a few years ago. He said this, like he talks to you. He said, son, he goes, you know what, my, the, the thing that thrills my heart more than anything else? I could hear excitement in his voice. He said, I go, well, what is it, Lord? He goes, my intimacy with you. He goes, that's the most important thing. And it just made me melt in a good way. I thought, whoa. He says, Keith, that's the thing I look forward to every day is my intimacy with you. I want to impart to you. I want to give to you. Hallelujah. Well, that, whew, that just really changed the way I thought. Because I was, you know, I grew up, I was a first child. I was real performance-based. You know what I mean? You got to work for things. You got to earn things. You got to work. Nothing wrong with that. But I, my, my thinking wasn't correct. And I, I thought, if I do more, God will love me more. I thought that as a young Christian. If I do more, God will love me more. And it sure didn't help by some of the preaching I heard too. Because <laughs> they'd beat you over the head. You've got to do this, do this, do this. You know, you got to win souls for Jesus. You know. <laughs> sure, we should be winning people to Jesus, but I'd rather be led than pushed. I let the Holy Spirit, the love of God, when you're overflowing with God and you have a fresh anointing, you'll lead, you'll lead more people to Jesus by mistake than you want on purpose because people will naturally be drawn to you when you're filled with God. So, okay, getting back to here because we're, geez, we're out of time here. time here. It's 12 noon. Verse 16, For I cease not to give thanks to you, making mention of you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, now notice it says, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what the hope of His calling is, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and uh, what is the exceeding, excuse me, greatness of His power to usward who believe according to that working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. We'll stop right there. But here's the phrase I want you to see right here in verse 17. Paul is praying this for the church at Ephesus, and you can pray this for yourself. This is spirit-anointed prayers. There's no copyright license on this. You can take Paul's prayer. He said, pray my prayers. because Now, now notice that when Paul prayed this, these are, these are prayers that we read about that were inspired by God for him to write. These are spirit-anointed prayers. And so you can insert your name. In fact, I, this is what I pray for everybody here at the church. 
When I pray daily, I lift you up. I said, Father, I pray for all the saints at Covenant Family Church that you would give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that we would know the hope of your calling and what the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints in light, what is the exceeding greatness of your power to us who believe, and so on and so forth. But that the eyes of our understanding can be open, and that's called revelation. You'll no longer, when you have a revelation from Jesus Christ, for example, um, of Jesus, of Christ the healer, Jehovah Rapha, our healer. When you understand and have a revelation of that side of God, he has different names, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. These are all different attributes of God. Amen. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. That's when, remember when Abraham was offering up his son and there was a ram caught in a thicket? Isaac was very thankful that day because he was on the altar of sacrifice. His father had the, the knife raised, ready to sacrifice his son because of obedience. And, the, and the, the angel of the Lord spoke and said, don't do anything. And he looked over and there's a ram caught in the thicket and that became the sacrifice. Isaac was very thankful that day. Amen. And his, his son, it's fun, because he was like 14 to 16 years old. He wasn't a little baby. He was a teenager. And they, they know what's going on. And, the, and his son was probably, because he said, it, it records, it said, son, he goes, dad, he says, I see the altar, I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And can you see Abraham, he's like. <laughs> and he made this prophetic statement. He says, son, God will provide himself a lamb. That's prophetic. And did you know that 2,000 some odd years later, Jesus was crucified on that exact spot on Mount Moriah where Abraham offered up his son. The exact spot. The exact location. A couple thousand years before that, God will provide himself a lamb. Revelation knowledge. Praise God. And I know, I can imagine Isaac was pretty excited that day. I came that close. <laughs> That's a sharp knife, you know. But see, God was testing Abraham, his obedience. And Abraham said, the Bible even says in the book of Hebrews, he received in a figure that God was able to even raise him up from the dead. Because he said, he already told Abraham, through Isaac, your seed shall be blessed. So, for that to happen, he's got to be alive. So, even before anybody was raised from the dead, he received in a figure in his spirit. In other words, in his understanding, his, under, his mind, he says, all right. If I kill him, you'll raise him up because you already said, Lord, he's gonna, you're going to multiply. And my seed will be multiplied through Isaac. He's the promised child. Hallelujah. But I'll tell you, when you have a heal, for example, healing will no longer be a struggle when you have revelation of Jesus Christ, the healer. Revelation of it. Where we struggle... Where, I, where we have all struggled at times is when we don't have revelation. Where we struggle with financial provision is because we don't know Je Jehovah Jireh like we need to. But we can come to know Him better. Now it's interesting because you know you can be stronger in one area of faith but weaker in another area. If I exercise just my right arm it can become stronger but if I don't do anything with my left hand it can become weak. Two arms on the same body, one's strong, one's weak. But we can develop our faith. We can develop our revelation by praying this prayer. Here's how we can do it. Begin to, if you want revelation, Father, open the eyes of my understanding today. Just a simple prayer like that. Say that. Say, Father, Father open, the open the eyes of my understanding in Jesus' name. Now use that, use that as a springboard to pray for the areas that you're struggling with. You know, if you're struggling with a particular area in your life, Lord, I pray that you give me wisdom and revelation concerning this particular subject. And just name it and say, Father, show me. Reveal yourself to me. And he will be happy. He will be much obliged, if, if you're southern, to step in 
and to give you wisdom, to give you understanding, and to give you revelation about that instead of if you're frustrated, like Mark Hankins said, if you're frustrated, you don't have a revelation. Frustration is a mark of lack of revelation. But if I have revelation, wow, I'm looking at this a whole lot differently. Praise the Lord. So in conclusion today, what's going on inside you? Ask yourself that question. It's not what's going on around you. What's going on in here? What's going on up here? God's more concerned about what's going on in here and here than what's going on out there. Because if He's able to get, if He's able to work inside here and work inside here, He can change everything that's out there. But so often we're so trying to change the natural, trying to change, man, if I could just straighten this out, if I could just fix this. But you put out this fire, then another fire pops up, you know what I mean, so to speak. But if you focus on the condition of your heart, your, your thinking and your heart, they're connected. Your soul is your mind, your will and emotions, and your heart. Okay? Don't try to fix yourself. You can't fix yourself. Take the lesson from Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but. <laughs> Wasn't there something about that he couldn't put himself back together again or something like that? Is that, is that how it goes? I don't know. Okay, yeah, okay. Some of you got some revelation of that. <laughs> I just remember sharing it with my kids when they were younger, and that's the last time I thought about it, you know, until today, you know, but. No, don't try, to fix your, don't try to fix yourself. Let the Lord, let the Lord, allow Him, allow Him, in conclusion today, allow Him to, to fix you. And, you know, and if you're frustrated, if you're sad, if you're upset, ask the Lord to help you. For goodness sake, don't go hide in a corner somewhere and just expect it to go away. It's not going to go away. Confront it. Before the Lord say, Lord, I, here's what I'm dealing with here. Lord. I'm really upset about this situation. I'm, I'm frustrated about this. And Lord, I can't, I can't fix myself. So I'm asking you, Lord, to help me in this area. Lord, I've struggled in this area. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. <laughs> he says, but I'm asking you right now, Lord, to help me with this situation. If you're struggling with a person in your life that's been giving you a hard time, you know, especially if it's in the family, they're giving you a hard time. Man, I'm telling you, go to the Lord and ask Him for wisdom and revelation of how to deal with that person. And I tell you, He will soften your heart. He will give you eyes to see that person differently than what you might have seen them. Praise God. Let's just praise Him right now. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Don't you know that I, the revelator, saith the Lord, I, the revelator, actually live on the inside of you. And as you call out to me, and as you open your heart, and yes, your mind, you will surely see. For you see, I'm not there to hide things from you. For did not I say in my word that sound wisdom is laid up for the righteous, not from the righteous? Sound wisdom, godly wisdom from heaven is stored up for you, saith the Lord. And as you cry out to me, as you pour out your heart before me like water, I will come and I will visit you. And I will manifest myself, yes, even unto you. I'll open your heart. I'll open up the eyes of your understanding. And it will be said of yourself, my God, I didn't know it could be like this. I, I didn't see that, Lord. But now I do. For you see, these are the days saith the Lord. These are the days of wisdom and revelation. These are the days where my wisdom and my revelation of my word 
is flowing like a mighty river into my people, into my body. And yes, those that are thirsty and those that are hungry. Hallelujah. For you see, there's nothing. Though you may be perplexed, though you may be in so-called confusion, Know this, I am not perplexed. I am not confused. Nothing takes me by surprise, saith the Lord. And as you walk with me and you commune with me and you fellowship with me, that which is in me shall come out of your spirit and flow into your mind. Yea, my thoughts will rise up out of your spirit and come into your mind and you'll say, that's it. That's it. I have the answer. I know what to do now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So tap in. Tap in to the unlimited resource, saith the Lord, for there is an unlimited resource that's on the inside of you. All that you need, all that you want, and all that you desire is already on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All things are yours, the Bible says. All things are already ours. Praise you, Lord Jesus.